Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We have had the men's semi-finals today. We have the women's final to come tomorrow as we speak to you. I am David Law. I'm not in Paris. Catherine Whitaker most certainly is. She's been there all day for Eurosport, talking to just about everybody you can possibly imagine. Uh, We're going to talk about those men's semi-finals. We were going to hear from Chris Evert, except we've had a small technical hitch, so apologies for that. Uh, Catherine's going to tell us all about that anyway. But Catherine, first of all, those men's semi-finals, very, very different matches. The first... It it was an absolute classic, wasn't it? We're going to hear from Andy Murray uh, in a little while. He fought his heart out. Five sets. Stan Wawrinka, just brilliant. One of the matches of the year for me. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. One of the matches of the year. A slight disappointment that the fifth set wasn't the fitting end to it. And I'm not sure it will go down in history as one of the classics because of that fifth set not being competitive. But that will be a shame because up until that point, it was really one of the most sensational matches ever. I have to say there was a a part of me this morning that thought that match might be a, a one-sided whitewash for Stanford Rinker. I really did. And I was really blown away by the tennis that Murray was able to produce. I think he'd got to this point riding on grit and feistiness and and defiance and not on particularly great tennis you know standing far too far behind the baseline and not being aggressive on the forehand and just sort of pushing the ball rather than really taking it on I watched a few YouTube videos of his semi-final against Vavrinka last year and it really struck me how different the tennis he'd been playing this year was and suddenly in that semi-final he came came out and he found the tennis of of the semi-final from last year he really found something that I hadn't seen in him in this tournament and I was so impressed and okay it wasn't enough in the end but that's because on his day Stan Wawrinka is unbeatable unplayable on clay and probably on hard court as well and there's absolutely no shame in losing 
to him. There's certainly no shame in losing him in in, in lo- losing to him in the way that he did. You know, absolutely battling. I spoke to him after the match, and uh, he looked. Okay, he looked physically shot. I don't think that's the reason he lost the match. I think he he did have enough in the tank physically in the fifth set. I just think that the the nature of the way that Vavrinka accelerates through a match and goes up through the gears meant that he just had more to give in the final set. I just think Murray, he had that sort of vacant, behind-the-eyes, slightly bewildered, uh, there's there's nothing left of me to give here look about him. He still did a very good job of his post-match press conference and interviews, but he really looked like a hollow shell of a man that had given every piece of himself to that match and was gutted to have lost, but could sort of sleep well tonight knowing that he'd given everything and knowing that he'd found something in him that he's been struggling to find and looking for 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 quite a long time now and something that will stand him in good stead I think for the grass. Let's hear that interview. Catherine spoke to Andy Murray straight afterwards. Andy, commiserations today, such a hard-fought battle. Just your reflections on the match and how you're feeling in the immediate aftermath. Yeah, I mean, I'm disappointed, I'm tired. Um, Just now it was, was a long, long, tough match. Um, difficult, you know, fortnight really kind of coming in, not not playing well. It was, you know, mentally the matches were, were quite challenging for me because, you know, I didn't know exactly how I was going to be playing at the beginning of the week. But, yeah, disappointed just now, very tired. Um, and, yeah, obviously frustrated I couldn't, couldn't win in the, the fourth set. In terms of your year, though, in that context, it seems like you found something in yourself this fortnight that you'd been looking for. Would you say that's the case? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. That's obviously, you know, these last last few months haven't been easy. I've not, not played well. Um, you know, was was struggling, you know, with, with my game um, in many aspects. But, you know, this fortnight's been good. Um, played well um, in some matches. Got some good wins against tough opponents and, you know, was only a few points away from, from reaching the, the final of the French Open, which, you know, coming in, you know, obviously at the end I was wanting to win win the event, but, you know, two weeks ago I wouldn't have expected to be in this position. So hopefully this is kind of the start of um, a strong second half of the year. So there is Andy Murray, Catherine. I, I think uh, what you said before we heard from him, very, very well put, actually. That, that For me, I, I, don't, I don't think he could have done anything more, having watched the match. I, I, I had it on while, while working on various other things throughout. And, and, and it did seem to me that he, he was sprightly. He was on his toes. He was giving all the sort of body language that I, that I always associate with a good Andy Murray performance, shouting "Let's go" at himself and 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 grunting after virtually every shot. You could feel he was present, even when he lost that final set six one. He was still fighting. He was just tooth and nail, going for everything. He he was not going to let Stan have any of it, and Stan just wrestled it from him. I mean, the 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 way he wrestled the French Open title from Novak Djokovic two years ago. It didn't matter that it was Mr. Defiance or Mr. Resilience down the other end. It didn't matter it was Andy Murray, you know, I I will do anything to stop you mode down the other end. Vavrinka has that ability um, to just physically take it from you. And and that's what he did. I mean, the the shot making, I mean, 
I, I, there were some people out there on on Twitter who I was I, I was getting pretty angry with because I'm you how anybody could find fault with that match on any level is beyond me. I thought it was it was extraordinary. I thought Murray Murray was brilliant and yet he still lost and and that that is saying something. I the, the, I think one of the only times I can remember feeling like that about an Andy Murray match where he was really good and lost was that Wimbledon semi against Federer. And he ended up losing that in straight sets. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I spoke to Matt Savalander in the makeup room, actually. Uh, he was having less significant work done than I was. Uh, in uh, the early stages of the fourth set, and he was saying that he thought that Andy Murray was probably the most annoying opponent of all time to play against. And he meant it in the most complimentary way possible he said he couldn't imagine anything worse and more frustrating and more mind-boggling than playing against Andy Murray and I think that's an enormous compliment coming from Mats Volander you know it's that comment that that I think you mentioned to me a couple of days ago that that Lendl said about how he shrinks the court he makes the margins of the court smaller for his opponent it makes you feel like you've got to go for more he tracks everything down okay he doesn't hit the winner's of a Stanford Rinker, but when he's playing against a Stanford Rinker, it's it's a glorious matchup. When you get two guys absolutely going hell for leather all the time, sometimes sometimes it can be a bit of a it can strike a bit of a discord, can't it? And not be the best of matchups. But this was a a glorious matchup to relish. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Stan just physically wrestled it from him. And I don't think it was one of those one-sided fifth sets where one opponent sort of mentally fades away and ceases to believe. I don't think that's the story. It, it will look like that on paper, but you're absolutely right. Andy Murray was there physically and mentally in the fifth set. He just wasn't good enough in the fifth set because Stanford Rinker towered over him like this physical colossus, you know, and and just was able to play better tennis in that fifth set and yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a falling away from Andy Murray it was just an absolute towering performance from Stanford Rinker and he is a he's the incredible Hulk isn't he he's the incredible Hulk of the <laughs> tennis court he's amazing Exactly right. I actually said that early on that that he, to me when I watch him when he's in that form he is the Hulk of tennis and and Hulk the Hulk. Did you really say that? I, I genuinely didn't steal that line from you, David. I yeah. I thought I was no, coming well, up with that for the first time. If we did, you genuinely say that earlier today? Yeah, you you go back over my timeline. I said that. I think I said that in about the third game. He when I when I watch him in this form he is the Hulk of tennis. I promise, hand and, on heart. You can't see me, but I have hand on heart. I didn't realize I was stealing that line from you. Well, no. Let's let's put it in a more positive light. We've just we've just sort of you know, the the stars of a line in our <laughs> yes. in our respective. We're on in a my tennis podcast in, wavelength. There you go. Exactly a tennis podcast wavelength. Uh, but no, I, I'm I'm a bit of a Hulk expert because that's who I wanted to be when I was about six. So anyway, there you go. You've you've learned something new. Um, what we did have following that is a pretty one-sided match between Rafael Nadal and Dominic Thiem. Um, and to me, at 4-2, 30-love, there was a point where Thiem 
hit two of his biggest shots that I think he has. And he had Nadal running all over the court and it ended up with a Nadal winner on the forehand. And there was a look on the face of of team after that. He just shrugged his shoulders and I thought, you're beaten. There's, you, you, don't, you don't have anything better than that. And he's just taken it on the chin and he's still come back for more. Um, so the only, the only question mark for me is, I think, I think Vavrinka is probably the only man physically who can stand up to Nadal and maybe hurt him still. Uh, even on clay, oh, uh, I, I just, I, I, I still, I still think ultimately Nadal's style of tennis will will win the day. Um, that relentless hooking of the forehand cross court onto the backhand side up high, I think that that will ultimately decide it. But Vavrinka has that physicality to to stand up to him. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think that that goes without saying. I think people, you know, people talking about Nadal being unbeatable and it being written in the stars for him to win his 10th. Ravrinka is the worst case scenario for Nadal in the final, the abs or in any match. Ravrinka is worst case scenario for him. This to me is a 50, 50. Yeah. Nadal's the informed guy. He's played impeccable tennis. He has looked unbeatable up to this point, but Vavrinka doesn't lose Grand Slam finals. He doesn't. He's played three of them. He's won all of them. He's played three of them against the world's top players. He doesn't lose them. He rises to... The bigger the occasion, the more that Stan Vavrinka rises to them. And for that reason, it's a 50-50, even though he's playing a nine-time champion and the strong favourite for the title. I, I, I find it ridiculous that people are saying this... This could be a one-sided final. Look, Rafael Nadal may very well win. At the start of the tournament, I predicted a Nadal-Vavrinka final and I predicted Nadal to win. And I think if I was pressed right up to the wall right now, I would probably say the same. But by the smallest of margins, I really think this is going to be toe-to-toe. This is Stan Vavrinka in a Grand Slam final of a tournament that he's already won in a tournament that he says and and I agree with him that he's playing the best tennis of his life it it's a 50-50 yeah very interesting i mean to me the the question mark is whether he finds his best on the day but it he always does in a grand slam final what yeah. reason has he ever given you to to think that he won't that's a very good his point. best may still be beaten by nadal on clay it may very well be this is nadal on clay but i do think vavrinka will find his best Oh, I'm excited. Me too. I'm excited now, Catherine. You've got you've got me rubbing my hands together on, on this one. Uh, so anyway, that is going to be the final, the men's final on Sunday. Uh, the next time you'll be seeing Andy Murray will be at the Queen's Club at the Aegon Championships. Uh, and Vavrinka's going to be there. And Nadal's going to be there. Uh, if you want to get a ticket, there's still some tickets available for the first three days of the tournament. The, the last three days, I know, are sold out completely. But Andy Murray starts at Queen's. Tuesday the 20th of June go and see if you can get a ticket there are a few still available with the the 20% no 30% additional capacity to the stands there so there's a few more spaces to try to Hi this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Phil. Catherine. The women's final is tomorrow. You spoke, as I said, to Chris Everett. Sadly, it's an interview we can't get our hands on tonight at this hour uh, due to one or two technical issues. We might, David, be able to do a sort of newspaper type thing and release a second edition with the Chris Everett tomorrow morning. What do you think? But well, let's definitely do that. But do you want to give a brief rundown of what of what went on, or not? Um, Would you want to hold your hold your fire? And wait and put it out. Well, I don't want to give a tennis podcast listeners not a reason to download our second edition, which I, okay. I, I, although I've just come up with off the top of my head, I think is a fabulous idea. Um, okay, so, so sorry, listeners, you're not going to get to find out well, anything I can, about I can the just give you, I can just give you a tr- quick tease, which is to tease say it, that she it. is... Fabulous. I've never worked with uh, Chris Everett before this tournament. I've obviously fantastically respected her achievements and enjoyed listening to her in commentary, but I am so endlessly impressed with her as an individual. She has some really punchy things to say about women's tennis. She's a proper feminist. She's a proper advocate of the women's game, of of the whole game, but of course, in particular, the women's game. And I have so much time for what she has to say, not just because she's an 18-time Grand Slam champion, but because she's a woman that knows what she's talking about. And um, she gives Ostapenko more than a chance tomorrow. Look, Halep's the favourite, but she sees something in Ostapenko. She's this this fearlessness which everybody has latched onto and everybody sees, you know, it's something that the likes of Chrissy Everett that won 
Grand Slam titles at, at 19 and, and at very young age, they okay, I know Wostopenko's just turned 20, but come on, we'll, we'll, she started the tournament as a teenager. We'll, we'll treat her as, as such. She, she sees something. She's really excited by her. And as much as it might be Halep that, that wins tomorrow and probably will be, um, Ostapenko has a chance. And even if she doesn't win tomorrow, she's going to have plenty of chances in the future. Yeah, it's it's far from a, a foregone conclusion that match really is. We not don't use that phrase uh, on the tennis podcast anymore, David. Ah, yes, because three years ago we used it uh, about Serena Williams against Sabina Lazicki. And uh, yeah, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. OK, let's change the wording. Um, it's Incidentally, it's the first meeting between the two of them. The, the, there are two elements to, that make it a really fascinating match for me. One is because Ostapenko's game is so explosive, so silly in its approach at times. I mean, she goes for winners off the back foot out of, her, out of deep in her backhand corner. And you're thinking, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And yet she, she's been making them. Um, so there's, there's that element to it. The other one is just you never quite know with confidence what you're going to get from Halep. So... This is a big final for her. She she came up short in her other one against Sharapova a few years ago in the French Open. We've yeah, she's done incredibly well to get herself together, hasn't she? Over the last few months uh, since that Miami debacle against Joe Conta when her coach left her and and then came back and she's promised to knuckle down and boy has she. Um but yeah, this this to me is probably 60-40 in her favor, but I I I think I think it could be a cracker as well. Yeah, I'd say the same, 60-40. Um, I think that even if Halep does win it, there will be wobbles in there. There will be drama. I don't see this being a one-sided whitewash by any means. Uh, just one interesting anecdote to leave you with, or I think it's interesting anyway. Um, Darren Cahill, her coach, uh, a lovely chap, someone we've both interviewed uh, many times in the past and is, has always been uh, very helpful with, with the media. We've been trying, we've been on a wild goose chase to try and track him down. Simona Halep uh, wasn't on the practice schedule that was originally published this morning. That was our plan to doorstep him off the practice court and uh, tackle him from an in- interview. But she eventually sort of added herself very late to the practice schedule. We ended up jogging our way over from uh, Philippe Schatz to to the very end of the Simona Halep practice to try and catch Darren Cahill, which we did. Uh, and he was absolutely lovely. But he said, look, guys, usually I would do an interview. I, I, I'm so sorry. And he was profusely apologetic. But he said, it's been six weeks in a, since I've done an interview and it's been six weeks that Simone has been on this amazing run. And I'm not usually superstitious but I can't afford to take any chances on the eve of a Grand Slam final. So what a brilliant story. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to pass. He said, I'll speak to you for as long as you like after the final tomorrow. But for now, I'm going to have to say no. And you can't argue with that. We didn't argue with that. And uh, it was a really interesting little insight. No, it really isn't. It, it's it's almost better than having an interview. I quite like that. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, great. we asked our cameraman if he had been rolling, but alas, he hadn't. No, but the anecdote was worth it. Catherine Whittaker, you've got to go and get to bed. We will try and get you this uh, Chris Evert interview um, for the morning when we finally get on our hands on it. the tennis podcast, French Open 2017, Day 13 podcast edition two.
Exactly. The How's tennis that? podcast extra. It's a yeah. bit of a mouthful of a title, but well, uh, um, you know, can, it's we... worth waiting for. Honestly, she's cracking. It's really yeah, great. It's be. worth waiting for. It's worth re-downloading. I'm sorry we couldn't get it to you for this one, but we will. I promise. But this this one was worth it as well for the the Catherine Darren Cahill anecdote, etc. <laughs> right, bedtime. Uh, hope you all have a good sleep, everybody. Uh, wake up bright and early for the women's final tomorrow, uh, and then the men's final on Sunday. Then we've got all the grass court season. Oh, God, I'm never going to get to sleep tonight. This is all too exciting. Catherine, we'll speak to you soon. Have a good day for Eurosport, and uh, yeah, everybody, good night. 